Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, on True Social, Success Alchemist, and on Telegram, US, UK, Patriot. Today is the 23rd of September, 2023, the autumn equinox. Gosh, that's come around quickly, hasn't it? And the title of today's show is The World is Heading for a Showdown, Why Trump Must Be Re-Elected, and Globalists Can Go to Hell. <laughs> so I think we've got a fun show ahead of us, interesting news as always. And I've also got a long list of other headlines I just want to share with you this week as well. As I usually say, you know, there's so much going on, I can't fit it all into a single hour show. So I'll try and condense some of the other things so that we can at least get an overview of what's been going on this week. So again, I'm going to start with Benjamin Fulford's report, which he puts out every Monday. And this is the title that I included in the show title, The World is Heading for a Showdown at the UN Corral. So this relates to the United Nations, of course. The world is headed for some sort of showdown as the failed UN gathers this week for another irrelevant General Assembly meeting. The only so-called leader of the five permanent members of the Security Council to attend will be the fake U.S. in quotes president, end quote, Joe Biden. The U.N. failed to achieve its year 2000 goals of ending poverty and stopping environmental destruction. And it is failing to meet the same goals after moving the goalpost to 2030. To understand what the U.N. really represents, take a look at their 666 building in West Africa, and it's an aerial view of this building that literally is like the symbolism of the 666 hand um, sign. No wonder the world is now waiting for the entire Kazarian mafia-dominated post-war world order to collapse and its leadership to face war crimes tribunals. Even the fake U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, was forced to admit what we are experiencing now is more than a test of the post-Cold War order. It's the end of it. That's why all sorts of intrigue is going on under the surface as the battle to replace the collapsing KM intensifies. One very interesting such incident was the temporary arrest of Canadian Crime Minister Justin Castrido in India at last week's G20 meeting. Indian drug-sniffing dogs detected large amounts of illegal drugs aboard. 
Castrudo's official airplane, according to Canadian Security Intelligence Service officials. And there's a there's a tweet, I think it is, from iSource News. Trudeau keeping low profile after Indian government detains plane following drug bust. According to informed sources, someone aboard Can Force One attempted to smuggle a large amount of an illegal drug out of the country. This is a major embarrassment for Canada. So America has coke in the White House and Canada has large quantities of drugs on their presidential plane. Wow, that was a comment from Becky on Twitter, or X as it's called now, of course. Can Force One see? Sources on the ground say Indian authorities prevented departure after drug-sniffing dogs detected a large amount of an illegal substance yet to be identified and so on and so forth. This is what India columnist Ajit Datta had to say about Trudeau. Justin Trudeau is a mascot of everything that is wrong with the world today, from being at the forefront of encouraging every degeneracy to welcoming radicalism into his homeland, from cheap gimmicks of tokenism to attempts at creating a culture of politically correct absurdities, The stink of his leftist hypocrisy wafts far and wide. A citizen of India, I could not care less if the elected leader of Canada seeks to drive his nation to the dumps. But where it has an adverse effect on my country is where I choose to draw the line. Indian authorities admit the drug bust was just a pretext because their real concern was Castrudeau's instalment of the Khalistan terrorist supporter Jagmeet Singh and his foot soldiers, India and its supporters, i.e. 90% of the world, will now cut off all ties with Canada until Castudo and Singh are brought to account. The official story is that Castudo's plane was delayed due to unspecified mechanical issues. Then, in a supposedly unrelated development, Canada has announced it will postpone an October trade mission to India, in the midst of strained relations between the two countries. The truth is, Canada, under the Satanist Castrudeau regime, has now become an international pariah. As Indian columnist Ajit Datta notes, Justin Trudeau is a mascot of everything that is wrong with the world today. Among other things, Castrudeau is now one of the top drug money laundering agents in the world, CSIS sources say. Since the Taliban shut down heroin production in Afghanistan, production was shifted to Iraq and the drug money is being laundered through Canada via the Ukraine, the officials say. The reason he is still allowed to strut in public at all is because he is going to face public justice and probable execution at war crimes tribunals, along with his boss, Klaus Schwab Rothschild, and his fellow Satanists, White Dragon Society officials say. Although their demise is inevitable, the month of October will be key to making this happen sooner rather than later. The reason, of course, is the US corporation is again facing bankruptcy as the September 30th fiscal year end approaches. With one month left to go, the deficit for fiscal 2023 now stands at $1.52 trillion and no source of funding has been found for this so far. 
This is especially true following the failure of a major push by the P2 Freemasons to convince China to fork out the money. U.S. Ambassador to Japan, Rahm Emanuel, and his fellow Satanists thought the KM could pull another Obama con job on the Chinese by offering Kamala Harris as a brown-skinned female slave president for the U.S. corporation. Oh, heaven forbid. On Friday, he posted on X stroke Twitter claiming Chinese Defense Minister Zhen Li Shangfu Li had not appeared at a scheduled meeting with the Singaporean Chief of Navy because he was, quote, placed under house arrest, end quote. Emmanuel was freaking out because Lee was supposed to sign over gold-backed bonds that would have provided enough money to keep the U.S. corporation going until 2025, by which time they hoped to start all-out nuclear war in order to get out of debt, according to Chinese intelligence agency sources. The deal had been in the works since March, and the plan was to bribe the Chinese with $1.5 trillion or so, with the intention of giving each and every Chinese person about $1,000. This was to help overcome economic troubles caused by the collapsing real estate sector. Instead, Chinese President Xi Jinping arrested Li alongside over 200 PLA Rocket Force associates and thus prevented nuclear war, the sources say. By the way, Li's disappearance is not related to the firing of Foreign Minister King Gang in July. Chinese intelligence sources say Gang was removed because he sexually assaulted a news reporter. The sources added there is no money in China these days because of the real estate crisis and that this is causing political instability. Nonetheless, the Chinese know they need to undertake painful structural reforms and not try to paper over the problem with funny money. The failure of this bond deal was followed by multiple rounds of meetings in Malta on Saturday and Sunday between senior Chinese and U.S. officials. Wang Yi, director of the Office of the Foreign Affairs Commission of the Communist Party of China, CPC, Central Committee told U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, China's development has strong endogenous driving force and follows inevitable historical logic and it cannot be stopped. As evidence of this, a group of 134 countries representing 80% of the world's population and over two-thirds of UN votes met in Havana on September 15th to 16th week to call for comprehensive reform of the international financial architecture and a more inclusive and coordinated approach to global financial governance. At the meeting, Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel Bermudez noted Coca-Cola spends more money on advertising than the International Monetary Funds does to support least developed countries and other low-income countries. He adds that, quote, an international financial architecture, end quote, that forces 80% of the world into debt slavery must be demolished. Africa is leading this fight against slavery. The overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya was a wake-up call. 
It turns out even the US general in charge of AFRICOM refused to fight against Gaddafi when he found out he would be allied to the very same Al-Qaeda jihadists his comrades were fighting against in Iraq. The British and French secret services were behind these jihadists, according to French journalist Thierry Maysan. Gaddafi's fall awakened his enemies. Blacks were once again massacred by Arabs, even if they were Libyan nationals, and reduced to slavery under the insensitive eyes of the Western victors. The poor African states, economically supported by Libya, collapsed, starting with Mali. Maysan blames obedience to the Americans for France's loss of its African allies, colonies. Despite their isolation, the Satanists, of course, are fighting tooth and nail to stay in power and avoid justice through the usual combination of terror, murder, identity theft, bribery, blackmail, etc. They are nonetheless freaking out because their attempt to genocide their way out of trouble with bioweapons and toxic vaccines is failing. Even the corporate propaganda media is emitting only 17% of Americans are now brainwashed enough to take their vaccines. It is amazing even such a percentage remains. The US Centers for Disease Control itself is saying 1 million mRNA COVID shots for teens will prevent 0 to 1 COVID deaths and cause 100,000 to 200,000 severe side effects. Their studies also show the risk for myocarditis. Myocarditis, an autoimmune disease causing inflammation of the heart, is 13,300% higher among the vaccinated than among the unvaccinated. When top CDC official Carol Baker was asked how to deal with the unvaccinated, she said, we will just get rid of all the whites in the United States. Even the head of the World Harm Organization, the international terrorist Tedros, has admitted he personally is not vaccinated. So, with the bioweapons and vaccine campaign blowing up in their faces, the KM are using microwave and other weather warfare tools to try to use climate change to terrorize the world into submission. The weather warfare is also for money laundering. That is why the U.S. experienced 23 separate billion-dollar weather and climate disasters in the first eight months of 2023, the largest number since records began. The money mostly gets lost in administrative fees. There is also outright theft. In the video below, a Maui resident says... FEMA took away all the stuff the local people were giving out on the side of the road. They took it away from everyone. Why? For more evidence that climate change is fake, Sky News Australia host Alan Jones notes, CO2 is 0.04% of the atmosphere and human beings are responsible for 3% of that 0.04%. It's like saying there's a granule of sugar on the harbour bridge, clean the bridge, it's dirty. The fake Biden is even telling the world his government is going to, quote, increase the number in, and intensity of extreme weather events, end quote. Then suddenly in Libya, oh look, more climate change. The huge flood there was not a natural occurring disaster, as we know Mossad sources say.
The two dams were collapsed on purpose by the KM as a warning not to cut off free Libyan oil for Europe, they explain. The KM is also still desperately trying and failing to censor the truth. Ian Sams, a spokesperson for the White House Counsel's Office, wrote in a memo to editorial leadership at major new outlets that the Senate inquiry into Biden crimes has, quote, no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong, end quote, which, quote, should set off alarm bells for news organizations, end quote. Even the propaganda CNN's fact check of claims during the Biden impeachment inquiry confirms that the Bidens received $20 million through shell companies. FBI informant claims he received a $10 million bribe. Joe Biden participated in talks with Hunter's business partners. Six banks submitted over 150 reports of suspicious activities. Another example of failing censorship is the attempt to ban a documentary about our drug mafia-controlled leaders. The truth is winning. In a recent example, Tucker Carlson has amassed over 367 million views on his interview on X with Argentine presidential candidate Javier Millet, a libertarian who wants to abolish central banks. In another example, a social media post revealing the extraordinary amount of money Bill Gates profited from the COVID pandemic was viewed millions of times in just two days. Popular ex-account Pelham shared the post, writing, Bill Gates purchased 1,038,674 shares of BioNTech, Pfizer's partner for its mRNA COVID shots, in September 2019 at a pre-public offering price of $18.10 per share, just months before the pandemic was announced. Gates dumped his stocks in November 2021 at an average sale price of $300 per share. On the same day, he said, we need a new way of doing the vaccines because the vaccines didn't stop transmission despite all of his previous claims to the contrary. Also, Dr. Peter McCullough exposes the entire KMWEF syndicate to the European Parliament in a viral video. In these circumstances, the rats are turning on each other as they always do. And he then links to an article on nationalfile.com uh, former Zelensky administration officials speak to National Files. Zelensky accused of money laundering, stealing American money, per persecuting opponents, cocaine use, selling his weapons, taking Russian money and more. The KM's trafficking of children is also being exposed. The Ukrainian government and NATO use fronts like Phoenix and White Angel to illegally kidnap and sell children. Ivan Bakanov, former head of the security service of Ukraine, authorized the Phoenix organization to conduct forced evacuations of children from territories near war zones and gave a direct order to take the toughest possible measures against citizens unwilling to voluntarily surrender their children during so-called evacuation events, according to Polish intelligence sources. 
Admiral Antony Radakin, one of the key NATO advisors to President Zelensky and Commander-in-Chief of the AFU Valery Zaluzny, are also involved, they say. Ukrainian residents are being forced to hide children in basements and abandoned apartments to avoid having them kidnapped and trafficked. To look at how absurdly evil the Ukrainian regime has become, they are creating special uniforms for pregnant women fighting on the front lines. The Khazarian Mafia are even starting to show their faces. Despite their Jewish costumes, do not be fooled. They are Satanists. Why are we allowing children to be trafficked across borders? Not only our own children, but other people's children. Nobody mentions the 60,000 Ukrainian children who simply disappeared, says Colonel Douglas McGregor. It's time to restore the rule of law. We have to crush the criminality. We have to return integrity to the electoral process. Most of the people in Washington are reminded of those we used to punch out at bars for entertainment. Don't be afraid of these people, he says. Meanwhile, U.S. President Joe Biden, and that's in quotes, advertised who he works for when he kissed John McCain's memorial in Vietnam. McCain was executed for treason. In another public admission of evil, the avatar Nancy Pelosi told Anderson Cooper Vanderbilt on CNN, I'm more reptilian and cold-blooded. By the way, it looks like Senator John Fetterman has also now been replaced by an avatar. His forearm tattoos are gone. The original died from the jabs, which induced a stroke, CIA sources say. And he does look completely different in these various photographs. Next, look at Italian PM Georgia Maloney. She's looking like Zelensky, another cocaine user. The obvious criminality and compromise of their leaders is forcing people to wake up and fight back, even in the formerly brainwashed West. For example, police arrested an armed man posing as a federal agent when he infiltrated a John F. Kennedy Jr. event in Los Angeles. This means that even if the Secret Service won't protect him, local police will. I think that should have said an RFK Jr. event. But who knows? <laughs> you know, people claim that JFK Jr. is still alive. I have no opinion on that subject. In New Mexico, local police refused WEF puppet Governor Luhan Grisham's attempt to disarm citizens. In Chicago, black residents are warning that illegal immigrants are being brought in and given the vote in order to disenfranchise Americans. In the UK, the government is being forced to give up on the 15-minute city agenda because nearly all ULES cameras, that's ultra-low-emission zone cameras, were destroyed and over 50,000 people refused to pay fines. And there's a tweet from the White Rabbit podcast Breaking England is on the verge of giving up on the WF agenda 15-minute city after almost 100% of the cameras have been destroyed and 50k people refuse to pay the fines. Cameras cannot be protected as they defunded the police. Courts cannot prosecute that number of people. In Holland too, 
Dozens of politicians, government officials, police chiefs and other traitors are being forced to resign. Even the mainstream media is beginning to realise the number of aware people is not thousands but millions and they are being backed by lawyers. Major lawsuits against Crime Minister Mark Rutter and his criminal gang are revealing the country is in fact run by an undemocratic private World Economic Forum. In Israel too, an undeclared civil war is underway as tens of thousands rally against the Israeli far-right cabinet for the 35th straight week. Israeli patriots also alerted us to this coin showing their government's involvement in crimes like 9-11. 1968, the year 911 was made dialing code. 1968, year World Trade Center construction began in New York City. 1968, year George W. Bush graduated from Yale. 1968, year 2001, a space odyssey came out. 1968, year New York Jets won their only Super Bowl. 1968, year Israel put out the shekel. And the shekel has an image of, a, of an aeroplane going towards what looks like the two towers, the twin towers, and underneath there's a, a tank. Maybe that refers to the strike on the Pentagon. If the US military fails to deal with the criminals who hijack their government, the rest of the world is getting ready to take action, even on the US mainland. In a sign some sort of military move against the US is possible, military delegations from China, Russia, most of Latin America and many other countries paraded in Mexico last week. If the US military is going to operate on the borders of China and Russia, I guess they have decided to respond in kind. So please pick up your phones and force the military to act. So that's the end of Ben's uh, article <coughs> or report. I just want to pick up on something that he referred to, which was about the UK's ULES, or at least London's ultra-low emission zones, and the fact that uh, an organisation or a group called Blade Runners have been destroying the ULES cameras and disabling or blocking in the ULES vans, which are like mobile detectors of vehicles that are, don't have the required low emission rating. And uh, London Mayor Sadiq Khan is absolutely furious about all of this while the public cheers them on. But then yesterday, there was a report that Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, is rolling back multiple environmental policies in pragmatic move that leaves climate alarmists fuming. And this is from the Gateway Pundit. And I think it's one of those tactics to that are pre-election trying to placate the furious UK electorate who are sick to death of all this net zero crap that they've been pushing, same as over here. It's all total BS. And so what they're doing is they're pushing back some of these uh, targets from 2030 to 2035. Um, the statement is 
we can adopt a more pragmatic, proportionate and realistic approach to meeting net zero, Sunak told a news conference on Wednesday, saying a ban on the sale of petrol and diesel cars will be pushed back from 2030 to 2035. And there's also other things that they were planning to ban, which was gas boilers and so on and so forth. So he's still saying he very much supports all this net zero stuff. That's not going to go down at all well because people are wise to this now. They realize that this is just a, another money laundering opportunity and a control thing, you know, to get the plebs, as they consider them, to hand over more cash to these controllers. It's ridiculous. I'm going to move on to the next topic, which is um, why Trump must be re-elected. And this is a like an editorial from Town Hall. It was David Berg who authored it, or, and it's actually published today. And I must say, I share a lot of this guy's sentiments I'll never forget Donald Trump's entry into the 2016 Republican presidential primary. At long last, we were nearing the end of two painful terms under the charlatan Barack Obama, who'd been our most radical president despite his fraudulent veneer of moderation, and the likely Democrat nominee Hillary Clinton was campaigning to push our country even further left. She had to be defeated. I thought Republicans should nominate a thoughtful, articulate conservative, perhaps Carly Fiorina, remember her? Or Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz, my own sequential favourites. Yet here was this bombastic Manhattan real estate tycoon stroke reality TV host with no apparent conservative bona fides thinking he could waltz into the fray by way of his own escalator, no less, and upset the entire Republican apple cart. I was furious. Of course, Trump immediately dominated the Republican field. Primary voters across the country loved him. As a still-believing neoconservative, I just didn't get it. Why was this seemingly shallow and sometimes outright obnoxious guy resonating with so many people? What was his appeal? Even my beloved relatives in New Jersey, where I now live, adored Trump. They had his life-size standee in the family room. Trump quickly ran away with the nomination. It was unsettling and confusing. By November 2016, after much angst and soul-searching, I was emotionally and intellectually prepared to vote for Trump. I wasn't entirely sure what we'd be getting, but I agreed with most of what he said. And compared to the corrupt and mendacious Hillary Clinton, it really wasn't a tough choice. In any event, like most Americans, I still believe Democrat biased polls. So I was convinced Trump would lose to Clinton and he certainly would be trounced in my then home state of California. Then the impossible happened. Trump won. I was ecstatic. And deeply grateful Hillary Clinton would not be president after all. Donald Trump had saved our country from the abyss. God bless him. Over the ensuing months and years of his presidency, even as Trump struggled with some early questionable personnel choices and a venal deep state cabal determined to take him down, 
an actual insurrectionist conspiracy in contrast with the political riot on January 6, 2021, I began to appreciate Trump's populist, patriotic and anti-globalist appeal, and I admired his phenomenally effective presidency. No doubt his personality is not always my preferred cup of tea, but Donald Trump was a great president. Now looking back over the debacle of Joe Biden's presidency and with it the ugly rise of a triumphant hard left, the 45th president's primary historical significance has become clear. Trump has exposed the true state of our politics. He's like a prism that separates blinding light into its constituent colours. Call him the great clarifier. Whether this was Trump's intention, we owe him a deep debt of gratitude for it. For one thing, Trump has unmasked the true colours of America's left. Reaction to Trump has revealed a shockingly radical left in this country, including the apparatchiks running the Biden administration, that has succeeded in cramming much of its neo-Marxist political and cultural agenda down our throats. No sentient American should ever again wonder what the modern left is about. Of equal significance, Trump has revealed an elitist power structure dominated by unrestrained deep state bureaucrats, global corporate behemoths, including media and high-tech giants, that abuse their unprecedented power to manipulate and propagandize Americans. Marxist academics and teachers' unions, most elected Democrats and establishment Republicans who are so reliant on the status quo or fearful of change as to align themselves with Democrats against the dominant conservative populism within their own party, the Uniparty. While most Americans of all backgrounds, means, faiths, geography and political affiliation feel and are increasingly subordinate and powerless. Indeed, this expanding elitist oligarchy does much to explain Trump's populist appeal within the Republican Party and his single-handed creation of an excitingly dynamic and diverse new Republican coalition that offers the potential for real generational change. Thankfully, Trump has clarified for us these realities of our political, social and cultural life. Now, as we approach 2024... The necessity for his re-election also has become clear. We certainly face many important election year issues, including inflation, a migrant invasion, climate hysteria, violent crime, school choice and parental rights, and a looming nuclear war with Russia. But nothing will be more important for the next president than to uproot and destroy the fascistic deep state bureaucracy that threatens our republic to confront the globalist corporate power structure that threatens our liberty, to find and remove millions of unvetted and ineligible migrants who unlawfully have trespassed into our country, with Biden's explicit encouragement and participation, destroying our sovereignty and threatening our security, and to preach a revival of true American values including family, faith and country. 
In my view, no Republican candidate other than Donald Trump has demonstrated the determination, commitment, independence, experience, ability and sheer stamina to accomplish these utterly critical but extraordinarily challenging tasks. And I'm confident Trump will choose an outstanding running mate whose elevation in 2028 will be facilitated by a successful second Trump term. Current polling indicates that Trump remains the preferred candidate of a large and growing majority of Republicans, and also that were the general election held today, the race would be very competitive. The latter data reflect the deep unpopularity of the hard left that manifestly is destroying our country. To be clear, Joe Biden's re-election or the election of virtually any Democrat poses a true existential threat to our sacred constitutional republic. We've certainly heard and uttered these words before, but they are not hollow in the face of today's frighteningly dangerous and volatile political reality. So let's Republicans and Conservatives, all of us, muster up some badly needed political wisdom and rally together around Trump, starting right now and continuing through our resounding victory over the left in November 2024. Love him or hate him personally, the stakes for our beloved country are far too profound to do otherwise at this precarious moment. So I've spoken many times about optics and, you know, are the white hats actually in control of everything? And are we seeing a, a movie play out here? And I'm still convinced that that is the case because we've heard, we have so many things happening that are really in-your-face wake-up calls to the sleeping masses. And... Um, <clears throat> This is a report from Badlands Media, which is along this vein relating to the indictments of Trump to try and stop him from running for re-election. At least that's what it appears to be. This is from Badlands Media. Are Jack Smith and Fanny Willis in on the plan? The consequences of the indictment of Donald Trump. What is the best way to present evidence of election theft in the current environment? Answer, by indicting Trump for essentially lying about the 2020 election. The recent indictments against Trump et al. by Jack Smith and Fannie Willis fundamentally rest upon the allegation that Trump has been lying about the 2020 election. If you read the indictments closely, you'll see that this is the, quote, crime that gives rise to all the other alleged crimes for which Trump et al. stand accused. One could argue that through these indictments, the very act of disagreeing with the mainstream is being criminalised. Nonetheless, in both cases, the prosecution has a serious problem. What if Trump has been telling the truth this whole time? And of course, we know he has. As a defendant, Trump has discovery powers, and at least in theory, can use these powers to place evidence of election fraud onto the court record. This could be huge, given the fact that 50 previous cases related to election fraud have been dismissed on standing, rather than because of any problem with the evidence brought forward in said cases. 
We haven't had a proper hearing yet regarding election fraud, but now that Trump has been made the defendant in these cases, he must be given the opportunity to prove that he's been telling the truth. This is a requirement of due process. Will the New York and Georgia courts do the right thing? That remains to be seen. Perhaps these cases will reach a just conclusion, or if they are mishandled, perhaps the Supreme Court may weigh in. Indeed, if evidence of election fraud makes it before the Supreme Court, then that could open a massive can of worms for the Biden administration. To be quite frank, this looks like a setup to me. Basics of court procedure. To get a solid grasp of what's happening on the legal front, we need to understand a few things about how court cases are supposed to work in general. Many courts and officials transgress the rules they are supposed to uphold. Nonetheless, there are still rules to this game. To begin, every court case, no matter what it is, begins with the cause, the illegal or unlawful acts alleged to have happened. There are a great variety of causes that could initiate legal proceedings. What matters most is whether a prosecutor or plaintiff can present the proper court with a sufficient amount stroke type of admissible evidence to support stroke prove the underlying cause or not. A cause in law must meet certain criteria to be heard. These criteria are often referred to as the elements of the cause. For example, if you brought a defamation case against somebody, then you'd need to be able to prove that they intentionally lied in a malicious way and that damages were sustained as a result. These are the necessary elements that must be proven in order to move a court to rule in your favour. Conversely, if someone says something about you that is untrue, but they believe they were speaking the truth, then no defamation has taken place according to the legal standard. Until recently, it was considered common sense that a person ought not to be punished for speaking the truth in good faith to the best of their ability. Though Trump doesn't face defamation charges per se, the same basic idea applies to his cases as well. Even if he's wrong that the 2020 election was stolen, that's not a crime. What makes his actions and statements criminal, per the indictments, is that he secretly knew he lost and therefore has been lying this whole time. In other words, Fanny Willis and Jack Smith have both indicted Trump based on the belief that they can somehow read his mind. Indeed, these indictments are so flimsy, it makes me wonder if their true purpose is to assist Trump. We'll get back to that idea shortly. Standing must always be established before hearings or trials. In addition to having the elements you need to prove your cause, you also need to bring your cause to the proper venue. You need to file your paperwork into a court that has jurisdiction over the substance of your cause. Jurisdiction, in turn, is broken up into three main components, territorial, personal and subject matter. Before a case can proceed, a court must review its contents to make sure that one, the acts took place within the proper territory, for example, a dispute between two neighbours in Ohio would not be heard in Tennessee, and two, the act or acts was committed by an entity over whom the court has jurisdiction. 
This is also known as legal personality. Individuals, courts, partnerships, governments, etc. are different types of legal personhood. Three, the acts are cognizable by the court. For example, you wouldn't bring a trillion-dollar suit to a small claims court. If these elements aren't present, then your case won't make it to the trial or hearing stage. Before evidence and testimony can be heard, standing must first be established. And if standing is not first established, then the court can't rule on the evidence. Keep this in mind whenever anyone tells you that there's no evidence because the court threw out the cases. For any newscaster promoting that idea betrays their own illiteracy when they make such claims. They may as well comment on a chess tournament while blindfolded. In regards to the 2020 election, 55 cases were filed and 50 of those were thrown out on standing. That's a lot of evidence that never got the chance to be heard. Many of those cases probably should have been brought to a hearing or trial, but alas, not everyone follows the rules all the time, do they? One can reasonably presume that many of these cases were thrown out due to some form of corruption or compromise operating in the background, but I digress. In any event, unlike all those cases that got thrown out, Jack Smith and Fanny Willis's cases are underway. The game is on. Given that Trump is essentially on trial for lying about the theft of the 2020 election, his defence rests upon proving that he was telling the truth. Think about it. Is it a crime to be incorrect about something? Is it a crime to disagree with your advisers? Is it a crime to attempt to stop a theft from occurring? No, none of these things are crimes. If Trump believed in good faith that the election was stolen, then his efforts to prevent the theft have always been entirely consistent with the oath he took when he became president. The fact of the matter is that Trump has never contradicted himself on the 2020 election. He has been 100% consistent since the get-go. Therefore, the prosecution is going to have a difficult time proving Trump to be a liar. Meanwhile, Trump now has those powers of discovery that allow him to put his evidence on the record, almost all of it for the very first time. Looking at the indictments themselves, Fanny Willis's indictment contains 41 counts and only a handful of the counts aren't about false statements or subsequent acts that arose from false statements. The solicitation of violation of oath counts depend on the prior existence of the aforementioned false statements. Count one is the RICO charge, and it lists 161 separate acts that together somehow prove the existence of an organized criminal enterprise. A significant portion of these acts amount to things like tweets or normal conversations that officials might have if they were investigating election fraud. Again, the only thing that makes these acts criminal is the presumption that they were carried out in a fraudulent manner by people who intended to overthrow the election. Jack Smith's indictment isn't much better. Right from the get-go, in paragraph 2, it says, despite having lost, the defendant, Trump, was determined to remain in power. The defendants spread lies that there had been outcome-determinative fraud in the election. These claims were false, and the defendant knew they were false. 
How does Jack Smith know that? Does he have psychic powers or something? His indictment contains four counts and all of them require that Trump was acting in bad faith in his attempts to rectify the election. It can't be said enough times. If Trump had been acting in good faith the whole time, then the necessary elements of all the counts against him cannot be proven and there is no case. And Trump as defendant is now in a position to put his side of the story on the court record. Were Fannie Willis and Jack Smith in on it? The last thing the deep state wants is for viable evidence of election fraud to make it into a court record. Now that these indictments have been filed, such evidence is undoubtedly forthcoming. Had they never bothered to file these indictments, they could simply continue to use their media mouthpieces to discredit and denounce Trump like they've always done and call it a day. Perhaps they just can't help themselves. Perhaps they loathe the idea of Trump being a free man. Or perhaps it's all part of the plan. I'm only speculating here. I'm on the fence myself about whether or not these prosecutors are in on it. But just for the sake of thinking things through, it would explain a lot if they were. These indictments are downright pitiful. They invoke the flimsiest of premises in order to make the most far-fetched claims imaginable. What they've handed to Trump are multiple opportunities to present his side of the story in a courtroom. Both of their indictments leave a tremendous amount of wiggle room for Trump and team to operate and these court cases represent the ideal environment in which to disclose compelling evidence of election fraud, evidence that, let's remember, has not yet been heard. Not only that, but these indictments shift the optics in favour of Trump. At the end of the day, many people feel left behind, persecuted and so on. And now Trump is looking more and more like he's one of the people. Despite being a, mil a billionaire, he too has a mugshot and he too faces relentless challenges thrown at him by a broken and corrupt system that's hurting everybody. If Trump and the military are going to take back the country, there needs to be a necessary threshold of support amongst the people. It could be the case that mass arrests haven't occurred to avoid sparking a civil war. If the optics aren't right, things could get bad. It very much looks to me like what's happening right now is designed to serve Trump, both on the legal front and also the optics front simultaneously. Either Jack Smith and Fanny Willis are desperate to get Trump on anything they can and have served up the best they've got, or perhaps it's the case that these indictments were crafted to give Trump precisely the ammo he needs to proceed with the next phase of the 5G war. Either way, they have been filed and there's no going back now. If it's part of the plan, then what further evidence of coordination might we find? Possible fulfilment of a com? White squall revisited. What if I told you that the events of today were predicted years ago by an anonymous insider on 4chan? It is my opinion that White Squall, a movie about a ragtag group of boys who are taken out to sea by a captain named Skipper, where they brave numerous storms ending with a giant tidal wave, is meant to be understood as a narrative, metaphor, for the journey that Trump, Q and Anons have been on since Q first appeared on the scene in October 2017. 
Forgive me for spoiling the movie, but there are too many correspondences between its finale and what's happening with Trump and his current court cases to ignore. The connections are too numerous for it to be mere coincidence. In a nutshell, Skipper gets placed on trial for doing the best he can with his ship and crew while facing enormous destructive natural forces. Does that sound familiar? Most importantly, at the very end of White Squall, the skipper is redeemed by his surviving crew, who stand by him during his trial. In a similar manner, loyal anons are stepping into their role as the new news. You are the news now, Q, and are thereby helping to shape the social stroke informational landscape in a way that assists Trump to get his fair hearing. When it comes to highly politicised proceedings, what happens in a courtroom is often downstream from what happens in the court of public opinion. Could all of this be happening right now by accident, or are we witnessing the fulfilment of a very long and detailed plan? It's deeply ironic that Trump et al. are accused of engaging in a massive conspiracy. Perhaps they are. Where we go one, we go all. Before I get on to the final topic... Just want to cover a few of the other headlines because, you know, we're talking about optics here again. And there's quite a lot going on in relation to Ukraine. Um, Poland will no longer arm Ukraine to focus on its own defense. Kevin McCarthy has rejected Zelensky's request to speak to the American people in a joint session of Congress. Zelensky's pushing for NATO membership, which we know was one of the reasons for the Russian invasion in the first place, because NATO was encroaching on all the areas that um, that previous agreement, I can't remember the name of it, um, said that they would not do. But the, the big thing, which I believe is very much an optics thing, is that <clears throat> Marina Abramovich has been asked to be an ambassador to Ukraine by Zelensky. Just let me give you the headline to this. This was reported by The Telegraph, telegraph.co.uk. Zelensky asked Marina Abramovich to be ambassador for Ukraine. Artists will lend her voice to help rebuild schools in the country. Of course, all of us that are awake know that she's responsible for this, for satanic rituals, for spirit cooking, all of that demonic um, stuff that we've seen in the alternative news. And of course, if you remember, Microsoft had to withdraw an ad that she was featured in that was uh, advertising their virtual reality because of the pushback by all the people that know the truth about this evil woman. So why would she suddenly be in the news? And it's not only that she's going to be an ambassador for Ukraine, but she's holding exhibitions in major galleries in the UK. So, you know, we know that the Ukraine is basically a Nazi state. We've heard from the Russians about the child trafficking, the sex trafficking, the bio labs, the organ harvesting, everything. 
So I really think this is just bringing attention to how evil Ukraine is and its connections with the Khazarian Mafia and hopefully also waking more and more people up who have been blindly supporting Ukraine, thinking that Russia was the bad guys when actually they're the ones that are fighting this evil agenda and also um, going up against the globalists. So finally, I'm going to quickly cover the go-to-hell globalists. <laughs> and again, um, I love Christine Anderson. She's German MEP. Uh, go-to-hell, brave EU politician delivers damning message to the global tyrants. This was published on the 20th by vigilantnews.com. Member of the European Parliament, Christine Anderson has been an unyielding opponent to Klaus Schwab's Great Reset agenda. Known best for her famous smackdown on Justin Trudeau, MEP Anderson has, has established herself as one of the few politicians left who represent the interests of the European people. I'm going to have to cherry pick some bits out of this. I don't have time to cover all of it. September 13th was no different as MEP Anderson took no prisoners in her latest warning to the globalitarian elite. Before the European Parliament, in a session specifically focused on the COVID-19 response and the WHO, MEP Anderson ended the meeting with a powerful statement. We just need to find a way to wake the people up because the point is simply this. It comes down to a choice. It's either freedom, democracy and the rule of law or enslavement. There is no such thing in between. There is no such thing as a little freedom, a little democracy, a little rule of law, just as there is no such thing as a little enslavement. So that's the choice it comes down to. It's either the globalitarian misanthropists or the people. It's either us or them. And that's, I think, what this is really all about. Now, I would like to make a promise to the people, and I'm pretty sure I can speak on behalf of my colleagues. We will continue to stand with you, the people. We will continue to fight for freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. We will not shut up, and we will not stop going after those despicable globalitarian misanthropists. But we'd also like to have you make a promise to us. You may have heard it's all coming back. The first country is already starting to talk about mask mandates in Israel. They're already imposing it. I've heard of a few universities in the United States. They're already bringing it all back. And I would really like for you, the people, to not go along. Simply say no. They want you to wear a mask. Say no. They want you to put in another mRNA shot. Say no. They want to impose a curfew on you, say no. That's really all you have to do. Considering what we know, they want to implement, heck, you might even be well within your right to tell them to screw themselves and go to hell. That's where they belong. Once you've done that, once you've told them to go to hell, they no longer have power over you. So it's wonderful to have somebody stand up for us again in, in the European Parliament. Um, I know uh, we're not part of the EU, neither the US nor the UK now, but Christine Anderson is a real heroine. So that's all I have time for this week. Gosh, what a lot to fit in. Um, I hope you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next week, and I hope you've enjoyed today's show. 
And I'd like to thank Nancy Hopkins for producing and Derek Condit for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio. You could see his wonderful store at mysticalwares.com. And so until next time, stay well, be safe, and bye for now. You've been listening to Radio 5G, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening.